Hello and welcome to episode 23 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we tickle the feet of literature and see if we can coax it into laughing. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books. Speaking of which, book five is due back from my editor today and I am, I have to say, pretty scared. <laughs> my, my guest today is the poet Robert Garnham. Professor of Whimsy, or to use his official title, The Bard of Exeter. According to his website, he's a revved up, raved up, rocket propelled, panel and pamers, a randy, raunchy, rhyming, buy one, get one free, bargain bucket, Alan Bennett, Professor of Whimsy, consumer of biscuits, spoken word artist and comedy poet. Robert Garnham has been performing all over the UK for the best part of the last 10 years at fringes and festivals, poetry nights and comedy cabarets, bringing his own band of LGBT whimsy and humour to audiences anew. I first encountered Robert when he volunteered to take over the running of the humorous poetry website Spilling Cocoa, which I had set up nine months previously in a fit of wild enthusiasm, and then found that I was entirely incapable of continuing. So, um, welcome, Robert. Hello, it's a joy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, well, I'm glad, glad you could make it. Uh, we'll talk more about Robert's work later on, but first we're going to talk about the book he's chosen to discuss, which is Miles Before Miles, which is the anthology of Flann O'Brien's work before he achieved fame, or indeed notoriety, as Miles Nagopoulin. Actually, the whole business of what to call them gets quite complicated, as we should probably see as we delve into this further. I should perhaps mention here that The Third Policeman is, was it second novel or second or third, I don't know, may well be my favourite book of all time. So I'm particularly pleased with Robert's choice. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, would you like to give us a quick introduction to Miles Before Miles and tell us what, what it was that made you choose it? Sure. Well, um, I ever since, ever since I was a teenager, or even before then, I've loved anything that makes me laugh, basically. Any, any novel, any comedian, any film, and any book. So obviously went through the usual ones, Douglas Adams, for example, and uh, Stella Gibbons. I grew up reading that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And um, I've, I've always been a writer as well. So I've always tried to write humorously or comedy short stories and things like that. And I was working at a supermarket in Staines, where I grew up, way back in 1991. And I became friends with one of the other um, shelf stackers. And he was He'd come over from Dublin to seek his fortune in London, which sounds really romantic. Mm. Oh, um, lovely. Ended, up, <laughs> ended up living in poverty and working in um, Sainsbury's mm -hmm. or a supermarket. I don't know if I can mention <laughs> And he, we got chatting about writing and he, he said, oh, you really should read Flan O'Brien. He's, he's really funny. And start with Miles Before Miles. So I went out and bought it. And yeah, I just absolutely loved it. So the book is Miles Before Miles. And it is a collection of, this is where the names, as Jonathan said, this is where the names get kind of confusing. He, his name was Brian O'Nolan. He wrote under so many pseudonyms, it's really hard to tell one from another. So he's known mostly as Flan O'Brien. That was the name on which he wrote most of his novels. He also wrote as Miles Nagopoulin, Brother Barnabas, and um, the Oblather. He has so many different names, it's, it's hard to keep track. So for, for the purposes of this, I think we'll just call him Flan O'Brien. Yeah. And this is the book that gathers together all of the things he was working on and had published before 
he hit fame as a columnist with the Irish Times. So it's a real miscellany of different things. You've got um, columns in here and poems and all kinds of things. And it's just really, really fun to read. It's just so different. And I think it instilled in me the um, idea that writing of any kind can be adventurous, um, playful, experimental, and just downright funny. So, yeah, that's that's the book I'm talking about today. Yeah, I, it, it's really interesting reading it because you get uh, an impression of some of the stuff that he was going to go on to do later on. Mm. And uh, I mean, there, there's there's one example. There's there's the bit about the eaters, <laughs> yeah. where basically a, a scheme whereby if if you don't want to sit and eat on your own, you can hire someone to come and if it's to, to mm. sit with you. Yes, and and it it um, it's it, it, it's such a it, it shows his fantastic attention to detail, where mm. he takes an idea. And he just fills it out and keeps going and going and going and going. And then as soon as, he, as, soon as when you think he's going to, he's gone too far, then a bit more. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and I love that because he, he, he goes through, he does the conditions of hire. Mm. Um, like one, eaters must be presented with a tea or lunch, not inferior to that being consumed by the client by more than one shilling. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sort of things like, and Complaints as to abnormal appetites of eaters, incivility, objection or table as I said, should be instantly reported to the editor, but not if he's earning a living as an eater at an adjacent table. In such a case, complaints should be made afterwards. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, I'm, I'm only sort of skipping through it because it, it's quite a long, quite a long and detailed piece. And it goes to the mm. different classes of eaters. Yes. Class B, class B, are you a strong, silent man? We can supply mm. a great hulking lout who will grub with you and munch and chaw for an inclusive charge for about two and six per hour. These <laughs> fine eaters have been specially trained, must be provided with great lumps of beef, porter and whole loaves. Knives mm. and forks are desirable, but not essential. <laughs> and it, 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 I just love the way that he's, 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 he's had an idea. And then he thought, right, let's just fill this out. And the, yeah. the detail of it is fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. The meat, the the eaters also got um, a meter, so they got eater meters. So um, <laughs> like being in a taxi, so you know how much you're spending. Yeah. It, it's just, it just, yeah, it takes this idea and just, yeah, just runs with it really. Yeah. And I just I mean, love that. It, it reminded me of, of do you know the ventriloquist one. Uh, and, which one um, that that's some of his one in one of his later ones. Um, mm. I got the I've gotten the best of miles. There's, oh yeah, because uh, he the, the, that was when he was writing for the Irish Times, because he it's it's addressing the problem of people who wish to appear erudite but don't mm. actually own any books or know anything, <laughs> and so he, he he comes up with this idea of of hiring out ventriloquists. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of resting ventriloquists, if you like, who mm. are who are who will be somewhere in the, in the close proximity, and who would you, you would actually have to say anything the entire evening because the ventriloquists would, would come up with all the areas like chit chat about what you've what you've sort of seen, and and yeah. that's the start of it. And he sort of does the sort of describe mm. the service and all that sort of thing, and then later on it turns out that some of them have gone have gone bad, <laughs> and. Oh, no, no, well, 
actually, before we, before we get to that, there's also the case where, in fact, the entire conversation is carried on between either two ventriloquists, both operating on other, both sides of the conversation, or just one of them doing both voices. Yes. And, then, <laughs> and then he comes on to the bit where um, he's talking about when the, when, when the ventriloquist go, goes bad and slips mm. a note to the client saying, if you do not pay me five quid immediately, <laughs> I, I will say something really awful. <laughs> and it's just magnificent the way it just goes on and on. I, yeah. I, I love it. It's just that that mind, that really inventive mind that could just find the comedy and and these situations. It's just they're just like written down comedy sketches. They're just um they're just so funny. I mean I've I've got so many favourite bits in this book. Yeah. Like for example, the poet he invented when he was at, at the, the first section of the the book is his student writings, and he invented a poet called Lionel Prune, who's just this overblown and ridiculous, pompous character. But I think my favourite one is is the playwright he invented, a chap called oh. Samuel Hall. Oh yes, I love that one, <laughs> and he's it's wonderful. It's an extract of the play here. Uh, what's the play called? I'm just looking for it now. I can't remember what the play was called. It's something the, like it's the Bog of Allen. The Bog of Allen. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's about this this couple. It's Alan Bog, who's a farmer. The other character is his wife, and and she is a woman. And there is a bog trotter who is a man. <laughs> and it just starts. She she's shooing a cow away. She's going whoosh whoosh. Then Alan comes in and they chat now about what they're going to have for dinner and then the house sinks one inch into the bog and then a cow comes over the, the in the back door so they shoo it away and then they talk about turnips for a bit it just goes on like this and the house sinks into the bog another inch it just goes on and on with all this um, stereotypical it's kind of like stereotypical Irish literature like a like a pleasant Mickey take of it there's a bit of um... Of, of um, cold comfort farm about, isn't there? There is definitely, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the way it ends, it ends with um, suddenly six cows put their heads over the half door, house sinks six feet into the bog. Maggie angrily, for goodness sake, and then the curtain comes down. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just so wonderful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just realized I didn't. I, I failed to mention when, when, when he was around because he was born in 1911. Yes, and he died in 1966. 1966. Yeah, so he was only only 55. I, I, I think he had a yeah. fairly, fairly unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and the yeah. other thing is we don't really know a lot about his life no. because no. he's for a start he's got so many pseudonyms, but you don't really no. know much about his home life or or what he did outside of his writing. So he's. It just remains this enigmatic mystery <laughs> with all yes. these other pseudonyms that people think might be him or might not be. It's it's just so yeah. confusing. It's wonderful. Yeah. But the other, because my favourite got... section, of the book is actually the second section, where in 1934 he published a magazine called Blather, mm. and <laughs> he wrote every single word of every issue, <laughs> every five issues that came out. In 1934 to January 1935, he wrote the whole thing, and it's just—it's just so silly. I mean, it's got 
um, pretend letters. It's got an advice column, which is wonderful. And the, um, of course, uh, <laughs> listings for an imaginary radio station. It's just, it's just so inventive. Quite ahead of its time, really. Yeah. And uh, you're right, he, he did, as, as far as I can tell, he, he wrote all of it himself. I, I, I can imagine that it would have been hard to keep up with him mm. if, if, if you were trying to work with him. <laughs> I'm surprised he got as far as five. I mean, <laughs> yeah. five, in, five, five magazines in like six months or whatever it was. It's just it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And then, then later on, there's this bizarre extended correspondence yes. sort of events mm. um, it's just it starts off with a fairly innocent <laughs> review of a novel by Patrick Kavanagh or Kavanagh does the review mm. and the novel's by someone I, I, Morris Walsh who's lost in the midst of time I guess um, yeah. and then, then someone someone picks up on, 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 on the um, on the review mm. and starts complaining about the old bits of it and then yeah. various people chip in and the long correspondence <laughs> ensues and you're never quite sure how much of it or maybe all of them mm. O'Brien under various pseudonyms <laughs> and I just love to think it was just all him I hope it was yeah. because it's yeah. just <laughs> such a great idea I mean it talks about the famous Ibsen toupee disaster for example, in yes. one of the letters. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Because then the next yeah. couple of letters are all adding extra detail to the Ibsen toupee disaster. Yeah. It's just so silly. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it does sort of foreshadow the, the, some of his later stuff, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Because, it, 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 again, it's, it's that combination of, of wild flights of fantasy mm. and knowing when to let off the, the sort of let, let the reins go free and yes. but also the dis the discipline as well in, in sort mm. of filling in all the details and everything um, yeah yeah absolutely and, and that's i mean the third policeman is is, is is a classic of that sort of thing and i i'd, I'd quite like to do that on on, on this podcast sometime if, if someone out there is, <laughs> yeah. is interested in doing it yeah uh, although <laughs> the trouble is about the third policeman is that you, can't really discuss it properly without a massive mm. spoiler alert for the ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so just so uh, inventive. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it just creates its own logic and then just goes with it, which is yeah, that's right. A joy. Yeah. And, and the, the, the the molecular diffusion thing with the bicycle <laughs> and stuff is because he was he, he had quite an interest in science, didn't he? He was quite well. Yes, his, that's a yeah, I mean, he, he, he obviously took a great, he took a very sort of broad view of, 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 of education, didn't he? <laughs> and, and, yeah. Yeah, I, I think when I was, I started, I started, I first came across him in the late, late 70s, no, mid, mid to late 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, when, when Picador brought out a whole load of, um, a whole load of the novels. Ah, yes. Um, they, sort, they sort of appeared around about then. And um, mm. this, the biogra biographicalness at the beginning uh, says he was born in County Tyrone in 1911, died in Dublin in 1966. His reputation is constantly growing. Mm. 
And I think at the time he sort of, he'd lapsed into a little bit of obscurity. And then he, these novels, these editions came out in Picador. And I think he was sort of almost rediscovered them. Mm. Um, yeah. And then the Miles Before Miles one, that's, that's a little bit press, isn't it? So that came out in 1985. So it was a little bit... Uh, and the first yeah, that, Ultra Granada, yeah. 85, and a little bit press in 2012. Mm. Um, so it was a little bit, a little bit after, after then, they was gathering together all that stuff. And there mm. is, in fact, a... There's a Fan O'Brien Historical Society and they have big conventions and conferences. Oh yeah, they got uh, they got some kind of great what are they called something like the the parish review or something like that, aren't they? People write very erudite uh, papers on him, which is is exactly in in, in line with. with <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he would have appreciated all that. Or is it him writing them? Is he? <laughs> well, <laughs> is he ah, yes. Them? Now there is a thought. It will be, thought. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. He was definitely a literary trickster and joker, and uh, I think that's what I like most yeah. about him. But he's just got that that sense of. I mean, for example, I've got here the, um, the fake radio listings for this Blathers radio station, which is going out. Mm. So, um, like, it starts at twelve a.m with reverent silence to commemorate farmers who fell in the economic war. 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. There's a time signal from the alarm clock on the dressing table of the O'Blather. Sounds of yawning. 11 a.m. to 12 noon. Homely relay of the O'Blather household at breakfast, including following features whimpering while the OB has bib put on by trained nurse, altercation while nurse slaps hand, senile complaints reburnt <laughs> and underdone rasher, and so on like this. It just carries on right mm. the way through, but halfway through it, where is it? It's got here somewhere, um, like 3.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. It says something like typesetters bored now with having to write a.m. and p.m. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so wonderful, yeah. I think it ends up with um, reverent silence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do like this. There's a sort of there's a, there's one of the features in a blather when he's uh, going on about how, how what what value for money you're getting from from yes sort of thing. yeah yeah and <laughs> it goes on in so great detail about what what, you, what the other thing is you could buy for thrippers. <laughs> Yeah. And it says, last month, Blather pre presented a staggering example of bad value. Blather was the only journal in Ireland to present 20 pages of debraved twaddle to the great white public in exchange for a good-looking threepence. First again, <laughs> we lead, others follow. The issue undoubtedly marks an epoch in Irish journalism, and we are having the ep epoch tastefully packed in yellow tissue paper for the Conveyance National Museum. Uh, anyway, the threepence, which you so foolishly threw away on our great paper last month, could have bought you five normal cigarettes, five <laughs> subnormal cigarettes, together with a penny yeah. button hooker for fastening the buttons on your boots. <laughs> Could have brought you nearly to Palmerston back on a tram. Though goodness knows the place is a stern test of manhood and no place for a sane blather reader. And <laughs> then you could view the rooftops of Dublin from the top of the Nelson Pillar for sixpence. And if you had mentioned blather and Curtis explained your position to the man, he might have let you halfway up the stairs for threepence. <laughs> 
<laughs> you could then potter around in the dark and maybe sit for a while on the cold stone steps. If you met anyone coming down from the top, you could first frighten the life out of them or make a dreadful noise, and then closely question them on Dublin's skyline. <laughs> it just goes on and on again. On a, on, yeah. Uh, it's, it's an extended riff on, on, on all the things three, you could do for threepence. Three pages, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Better resign yourself to the fact that you've spent your threepence in exchange for it. You've got two or three hours solid reading, which is good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you cannot read, of course, your threepence represents hours and hours of healthy speculation. Let us hope it was clean. <laughs> yep. Oh, brilliant. It's, 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 it's wonderful stuff. Mm. It, it, yes. it is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's wonderful in, in, in itself. It's also really interesting to, to, to see, as I say, that the, the em, his later stuff in Embryo. Because mm. uh, yes. there, are, there are also a few extracts of At Swim Two Birds, which was his yes. first, first novel. Yeah, I um, think. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Um, some sort of, what's the word? Deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was. Um, it was a book that really, um, really showed me that you could be so experimental and funny, and that there, there really was no boundaries of what you can do in writing. Because I'd read funny things in the past, but this was a sort. Of, it was had a bit of everything. It had like. Um, you know the, the fake radio listings, for example, those pictures mm. with funny captions, and you know, I was only probably about seventeen when I read it, and I thought, "Oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do all this kind of stuff." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I suppose on 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 this side of, of the Irish Sea, we we, we we tend to think of modern comedy as starting with the goons. Yes, yeah, but actually, Flann O'Brien was there way earlier. Mm. Um, yeah, it's definitely a precursor to that that kind of humour. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very mm. much in the same sort of vein. And it kind of obviously leading on to Python and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it kind of dismantles um, dismantles the act of reading and writing while you're actually reading and yeah. reading. So yeah, it's it's it's, 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 it's pretty pretty post postmodernism, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. so, so uh, it was my friend Jerry who who. who said that I should read this this book, Jerry Keeley, and I've actually spent this morning trying to find him, see where he went in the mists of time, because I haven't seen him since 1992. I wonder if he ever Gosh. got to yeah. seek his fortune in London, probably. How interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was really grateful that he did. Right, well, should we talk a little bit about uh, what you do? So you are very yeah. much a performance. You are very much a performance poet, although you have five titles in print. Yeah, and I have to I have to say that on the basis of your latest book, Yay, they Yay. work very well indeed on the page. I really yeah. enjoyed reading oh, wow. that. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, it is great. Um, it is so, so it's, it's so nice to read some some genuinely funny poetry. Um, and oh, nice. It's uh, it's great. I mean, am I right thinking the books are sort of tend to be a summation of the content of a particular show that you're working on or a bit like the um, of an art exhibition <laughs> what's, your, yeah. what's your sort of process <laughs> i know i mean there's th i've had three books published with burning eye who are 
the top publisher of spoken word in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So the first one was like, a, that came out in 2015. So that was more like a, a greatest hits, you could say, of what I'd um, <laughs> been performing up to that moment. To be honest, I look at some of them and I do cringe now because I've moved on since then. That was getting, they were written about 15 years ago, a lot of those poems. The second one, mm. uh, Zebra, was kind of two books crammed into one. I just, I wanted to write a more serious kind of, not exactly angry, but kind of state of the world kind of poetry collection. And then I had some poems that I'd used in a show called um, Static, which was semi-autobiographical. So I put the two together and Burning Eye uh, published that one as well. And then Yay came along and I kind of did it the other way around. I got all the poems I've been working on, put them in the book. And I had one or two from shows that I'd taken to Edinburgh as well, like um, my show Juicy, my show Spout, which is all about having a nice cup of tea. It's an hour show about having mm. a cup of tea. And in the glare of the neon yak, which was a hour poem set on a train, uh, which is being haunted by this ghostly presence kind of linked to Herne the Hunter, the myth of Herne the Hunter, but it's actually an omen of good news is seeing the neon yak. <laughs> so I had all these poems, put them together in this collection called Yay, and then lockdown happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I used it, used the free time that I suddenly found that I had to um, put a show together by taking poems from yay and seeing what connection there was so actually right okay my new show is actually came after yay it came it's kind of like um queen's we will rock you you know it's made up a made up a <laughs> narrative <laughs> out of the poems that are in there you know yeah. so um yeah it's coming the other way around now so <laughs> hmm. so I, 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 yeah so have, have you actually performed that show yet or are you yes yeah um, I, I did it in Guildford last year, Exeter, and last month I did it in Wolverhampton. Right. And I'm just working now on getting to Edinburgh for this summer. Mm. Right. And it's also going to be at Barnstable and Guildford again. So, right. yeah, not exactly a tour, okay. but hoping for so more do, dates. Do, do, do you sort of feeling workshop it a bit? Do you, do you tweak it around as you as you go from one to the next or is it a fairly fixed oh this has been tweaked like you wouldn't believe <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I worked on it all during lockdown and memorized it rehearsed it mm. did it in Guildford and Exeter last year and that kind of gave me some ideas of the bits that worked and the bits that maybe didn't so spent the winter rewriting those bits and yeah, did it in Wolverhampton last month. It went down really well. I was really pleased because, mm. because the new bits were working well. And I was also pleased I remembered them. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that would be the bit that would scare me the most about doing that sort of thing. Is that something you've, you've always been good at memorising things? or is, is it? Oh, no. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it took years. I started out, I think it was about 2015, 2016, there was a, a gig in a theatre in London. Um, well, I say theatre. It was a theatre company, but they were based in a warehouse somewhere near Hackney. <laughs> and they 
wanted all the performers to perform from memory. And I'd never mm. done that before. So I, I had a five minute poem and I, I learned it. I actually surprised myself and learned the whole thing. So then instead of thinking, oh, maybe I should learn one or two more poems by heart, I then decided, oh, let's learn a whole show. <laughs> yeah. So In the Glare of the Neon Yak was the next thing I was working on. It's an hour-long poem. And, Ooh. yeah, it took a long time, but I memorised the whole thing. And that co that's given me confidence now. So, yeah, yeah when it came round to this show, I, um, yeah, I, I just launched into it and just practised it, repeated it, went over and over, and, yeah, managed to learn the whole thing. Gosh. So it's like a muscle. Actually, the more you use it, yeah. the, more, mm. the more you're able to. Okay. Yeah. So you've done Edinburgh before, haven't you? Well, yes. Right. yes. Yeah, so what's, um, what's, what's it like doing that? It... <laughs> oh, my. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, I, I sort of get the impression that it, it's can be quite a, a lot of hard work of, of handing handing leaflets out to people in the street and that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. It's it is the world leafleting championship. <laughs> <laughs> the first year I went, I went a couple of years with friends just to have a look around to enjoy it, watch shows. Then decided with a friend to take a show up there. We we did a show called um, oh what was it called Poetry Ping Pong mm. in the basement of a pub. And we didn't realise how much work was involved, really, how much flyering you had to do. And we were getting an audience of, like, maybe two, maybe three. <laughs> In fact, the first time we did this show, we had an audience of one and she left halfway through. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's awful. And I said, <laughs> she actually stopped us and said, this is very good, but do you mind if I leave? <laughs> So I said to the person I was with, oh, should we just carry on? We do a rehearsal. And he said, no, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so the second year I went up with, on my own for the first time, with a show called Static, which was, it was semi-autobiographical. It wasn't all funny. There was some performance art in there, which was done in complete silence with a bit of miming. And it Ooh. ended with a five-minute, bit of performance art which was me miming unfolding a table putting objects on it and trying to get these objects to race but of course they wouldn't because they're static and <laughs> it was all done to the sound of static coming from a radio that wasn't tuned to any station it was all very deep and meaningful and yeah. it had gone down well in places other places but when it got to edinburgh I found that my venue was a roped-off corner of a sports bar. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, um, it was completely wrong atmosphere to um, to do some silent performance art <laughs> when you all you could hear was um, people watching football in the background and shouting things like, kick him in the balls, ref, that was a foul. <laughs> so that didn't go down too well enough and that's when I thought oh mate I, I did think oh maybe I should just give this all up the next year I went with a show called Juicy which I still do even now it's it's my one of my favorite shows I think and it, this was the miracle year because it started badly with the airline losing my luggage and the luggage had all my props and my technology to do the show mm. The, the luggage arrived the next day 
And then on the third day, a line from the show ended up in the Guardian newspaper. It was one of the funniest lines at the end of the fringe. And it was sort of like, oh my God. I, I didn't know it happened until I started getting messages from people saying, you're, in, you're on the Guardian website. <laughs> and you're in wow. the Guardian. I thought, wow. And then the end of the day, BBC Radio 5 Live interviewed me live on air about it. And the next morning, Chris Evans mentioned me on his radio show. And I thought, oh, hey, this is it. Hit the big time. Bloody hell. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then got like an audience of four the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the, end, by the end of the week, it all, it, it all calmed down a lot. And it was all yeah. back to normal. But that was the miracle year. Yeah. So um, I've, got, I've, got, I've, I've got to ask you what the line was. The line was, it was just a throwaway line as I was introducing a poem. I was saying that every time I perform, I get really nervous. In fact, I can't sleep that well before a gig. I suffer badly with insomnia. Insomnia is a terrible thing, but on the plus side, there's only three more sleeps till Christmas. And that was the line. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, and, um, yeah, so it wasn't the official one-liner list it was the guardian's own one but yeah it made that yeah, yeah. so i think i and apparently i've not seen it myself but apparently i was mentioned on the cruise show pointless <laughs> we had to match oh, up no, no. <clears throat> you had to match no, up that, the, that, the one that is something to, something to aim for that is really something right to aim for isn't it? Oh, no. yeah yeah you had to match yeah. up the person with the one line and of course, I'm not exactly a household name, so I was a conscious doctor. <laughs> no one guessed it at all. But yeah, I've not seen it myself, but two separate people have told me now. Mm. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, yeah, I've got this so... really, really strange relationship with Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me about being, being the bard of Exeter, Doug. What's that like? Do, do, do you get do you get is it one of the things where you get a butt of sack as payment or something? Or, 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 whatever it is the poet laureate gets. It is a one-year term. There's no official job description with it. You can do with it what you like. You get official robes. Yeah, I, um, I've seen the robes. Yeah, very impressive. They, yeah, they are. They do fit really well. <laughs> and a book on the bardic chair. A bag which contains a piece of rock, which I assume is Exeter rock. <laughs> <laughs> and the weirdest of all, an actual chair, which I'm I'm sitting right next to it, right this second. Oh, I've got the Bardic chair I next wonder. to me. I so I these are mine for the next year and a day. Mm. Uh, my only actual duty is to find the next bard. Right. So that will come in um, October. But yeah, I could do with it what I like. The title's mine, and then yeah, and then hand it over to someone else. So I either make a competition or or just anoint somebody. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, yeah. it's a nice honour because I was voted for by previous bards. So mm. uh, there was a shortlist. Someone said to me, "Would you be interested in being put forward as bard of Exeter?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, okay." So the previous bards voted for me, and I was like, wow, I was so surprised, but humbled. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. Um, I, I tell you, my, my, my daughter was fascinated by this, because uh, when I told her I was going to be interviewing the Bard of Exeter this afternoon, because uh, she actually lives in Exeter. 
And, uh, ah, okay. So, oh, I didn't know there was a bard of accident. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's, 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 he's got robes and everything. So she was very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so go, um, go, go Going back further, so how, how did you get into all this? Can you draw a line from um, yeah. your, your, your chum giving you, uh, recommending Miles Before Miles to you and then sort of... Uh, <laughs> well, to be honest, the performing side of it, I've got into by accident. <laughs> mm. I, um, I've always written, I've always been writing ever since I was, well, even a little kid, I was... If, we, if it rained and we were at school and the teachers said, oh, you've got to stay in the classroom, so I'd just get bits of paper and write stories. Mm. Um, and then as I got older, I became a bit pretentious in my teenage years. I wanted to be the new Franz Kafka or Albert Camus um, <laughs> and churned out the biggest load of pap you've ever seen. Then I thought, well, what is it that I like? It's, it's comedy writing that I like the best. So then I went back to writing funny short stories, but I never... I never submitted them anywhere. I just wrote them for myself. I just put them in a drawer. And then in, when was it, 2008? I just, seven years doing the Open University and two years doing a postgraduate degree in museum management. And I thought, I really need to get out and see some culture. But the only drawback of this was I lived in Torbay. And there's not a lot going on down here. Well, I saw advertised in the local paper a night of performance poetry. I thought, oh, I'll go along and have a look. Sounds fun. Yeah. And it was at an arts cafe called The Blue Walnut, which is in Torquay. And I was watching it and I was thinking, you know what? I could probably have a go at this. Mm. So I asked the host if it was possible to have a slot at the next event. Amazingly, he said yes, even though he, he had no idea who I was or anything. Oh, great. Thank you so much. And then I came home and I thought, I haven't got any poems. <laughs> I have to write <laughs> so I wrote a couple of really, really silly poems, uh, performed them. And the amazing thing was people laughed. I've never had that before. I've been writing funny stuff for years, but never once heard anyone laugh because of something I'd written. So yeah. it, it just became, it's like a drug. You just, you I just, just could say it is like a drug, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah it kind of ballooned from there really people saw me and said i'll oh, come to my night and then somebody would see me at another night and say i'll oh, come up to london and before you knew it i was traveling all over the country so mm. i i actually really recommend it it really is a great way of finding yourself of you know of engaging with the world and being who you are mm. it's, it's amazing so um if anyone out there just wants to perform the best thing is just to get up and do it really yeah the, the funny thing is well the funny thing is that the, the odd thing is that i mean this is something i, I touch on this podcast a lot it's the humorous stuff does tend to get looked down mm. down upon a bit and probably more in poetry than anywhere else mm. which is it, it's crazy really because so, so much of humor derives from rhythm Yes, poetry derives from rhythm, so they've both got the same basis. Mm. But and yet, you—it's pretty unlikely that Faber would publish you, is it? Mm. Really? Yeah. And does that sort of bother you, or is it just just um, is what it is? I suppose. Well, I've been performing for about fifteen years now, and I've seen a shift. 
when I first started, it was called performance poetry and it had a real cabaret atmosphere. So you go along and you never know what you're going to see. You would see these. I mean, these are some of the things I've seen over the years. I've seen a man performing well naked, for example. Um, <laughs> there used to be a wonderful drag poet called Rachel Pantechnicon, who was hilarious. She did lots of stuff with props. And there was like punk rocker poets, poets of every, I mean, just some of the things I used to do back then. I used, one day I built a robot on stage out of cardboard, got the robot to do my set for me while I sat at the back of the room of a newspaper, for example. I performed by phone from the toilet of the venue. That was a fun one. Mm. I performed from the street out through the window <laughs> while also chatting to the passers-by. I don't think I could do that these days. But over the last 15 years, it's been like a, a shift more to, I suppose you could call it the American slam style, which is uh, all about authenticity and wonderful, I mean, good things like um, social issues and uh, racism and sexism and transphobia and everything like this, really weighty issues which are tackled head on with words and, and poetry and rhythm. And I think, I mean, that's wonderful, but there is a byproduct. I think the comedy stuff kind of is of lesser importance now. And the mm. cabaret comedy stuff has, I think, almost disappeared from the what used to be the performance poetry scene. It's now called spoken word. Yeah. So it's, um, it's much more literary now than it was. But at the same time, there's, I don't know, there's this sense that it's, you go to a spoken word night and, it's just going to be one tone all the way through, which is it's <laughs> kind of a frame in a way, you know. That, that's no poetry one. voice. <laughs> yes, poetry voice, yeah. <laughs> Exuberant hand gestures. So, um, yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, comedy seems to have, I don't know, become less important in the world of spoken word, which is, I don't know, it's just probably me being an old man. <laughs> No, I, 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 I think you're. I think you're right that it, it, comedy just does. I don't know. Mm. Get taken seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, it, it, one of the things I try to do is use comedy poetry to tackle some pretty dark subjects myself. You know, like uh, mental health yeah, I mean, issues. I'm, I'm, I noticed that in yeah, I noticed that in, in the eight, that it very much comes through in that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think it's all lost. I think that might come around again. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Circular. <laughs> Maybe when the world's a bit more exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed somewhere on your website, and I couldn't find it when again I was looking for it. That talk about your influences, and I, I noticed well, you. You, you put down Laurie Anderson, which fascinated yes. me because I've often I've always thought she's one of the greatest storytellers there is, and and oh, yeah, I, I I it's it's she's very rarely mentioned, and I, I was really mm. interested to see that see that she so. yeah she's a she was a big influence on I said about my show Static, which had the uh, mm. <laughs> the performance art sections in it. Yeah, I that was I mean not a direct result of watching Laurie Anderson but it's just the fact that she was there doing that kind of thing kind of made me mm. feel that it was 
it was okay to do it but you can do it's a bit like reading Flan O'Brien it's like saying well it's possible you know anything's yeah. possible you can just do yeah, that's right. do what you like and I, I obviously put a comedy spin on it by trying to get inanimate objects to race I also built a large hadron collider on the stage using a length of hose and a custard cream biscuit <laughs> <laughs> um what else did i do yeah so um yeah oh and um played a theremin but it was actually a crunchy nut cornflakes box with two baguettes sticking out at odd angles and the the noise was coming from a tape recorder hidden inside of it so um but yeah, yeah. so um yeah laurie anderson is she she, yeah, that storytelling is is um, she's a spoken word artist, I think. Yeah, I mean, do you know her album, The Ugly One with the Jewels? Yes, it's one of my favourites. Because that's, that's, yeah. that's some of the that's absolutely mesmerising stuff, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, 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 have you have you seen have you seen her live? Uh, not in person. I've seen her on YouTube concerts on yeah. YouTube. Because yeah. I actually went, I went to USA when it came to London in oh, wow. three, three, four. Yeah, I was wrong about that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I saw recently, well, recently actually, it's probably about 10, 15, 15 years ago. She just show at the Barbican where she just finished being artist in residence at NASA, I think. Oh yeah, and that was a terrific. Sh- so she, she's such a performer as well. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. She's. <laughs> I mean, I just love these people who are. You can't categorize what they do. No, they that's can. right. That, yeah. So Laurie Anderson. Um, I mean, Flan O'Brien is a writer, but is he a columnist? Mm. Is he a humorist? But another of my obsessions, you could call it, is Ivor Cutler. Who... I, I knew. I've, I knew you'd mention Ivor Cutler as well. That's the one I was thinking of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's another one who's completely sui generis or whatever the you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, of, of his own, yeah, just one off. That's it. Yeah, he's just, yeah, it, just these people that just make you realize that art can be whatever you want it to be. You could just, whatever form of expression yeah. you adopt, it's, it's up to you. But yeah, it's just this idea of there being boundaries between different art forms. It's just kind of, um, yeah, blown out the water by artists who've just gone out there and just done their own thing, and I just love it. Mm. Yeah, and of course, he uses a lot of humour as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, scenes from a Scotch sitting room. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah, Look, it. a blade of grass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, another blade of grass. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We yeah. we sheltered by a wall so that we um, didn't have the worst effects of the fresh air. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he so was a wonderful. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I saw him live. As, I saw him live actually. Oh wow! And, I bet that was amazing. And and Phyllis Phyllis was it was his yeah. name? Phyllis April. Phyllis King. Yeah. Yeah. They were oh, great. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Great event. So many people. So many people I've known have actually seen him live or even a friend of mine, Rodney, he he used to program poetry events back in the 80s. And uh, mm. of course, he brought um, Ivor Cutler down to uh, uh, Aldershot, I think it was, where he lives. Yeah. And then another friend of mine actually lived in the same road as Ivor Cutler at the same time. 
it's just like he's always there, just under the surface, bubbling away. It's like, I just wish I'd known about him earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I think that's probably enough to be going on with. So, yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming along. That's been really interesting. No problem. No, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me on. Ah, You're welcome. Well, this place is intended to be free from adverts, as if anyone paid advertiser anyway. But if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reward us by buying our books, or in Robert's case, by buying his books and coming to his shows. Robert is on Twitter as Robert Garnham, and his website is at professorofwhimsy.com. He also has a podcast called Whimsy in the Woods. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is at jonathanpinnock.com. This podcast now has its own Twitter account as litbuckpod, and DMs are open. Or email me on litbuckpod at gmail.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people find out about all the fascinating stuff here. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to the award-winning novelist Emily Koch about Meg Mason's Sorrow and Bliss. See you then. Every so often during the editing process, you snip out something that has a perfect rhythm to it. And that happened today with this excellent combination of me coughing, something weird glitching in the background, and Robert saying, and um. I'm sure Laurie Anderson would know what to do with that. And um. 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 And um.